0: This is part five of a Bible study on the book of Ruth. In the previous four episodes, we have looked at the text and offered commentary. Of special note were some of the virtues Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz possessed, including loyalty or hesed, humility, and industriousness. In this final part, we will examine seven additional virtues that were instrumental in shaping the narrative and that we can imitate in our own lives. The first virtue is courage. Ruth, as a Moabitist, faced with the unknown, that is, traveling to a new country, culture, and religion, without money, power, privilege, husband, or children, nevertheless fearlessly ventures on. Her past ties in Moab, which, as Naomi suggests, could offer stability and perhaps a future husband, does not bind her. Her fidelity to Naomi is stronger than terror of the unknown, and with courage she meets challenges, however demanding. This moral courage enabled Ruth to pursue a course of action that she knew was right. Through this virtue, she is able to build a new life, and as a consequence, garners the respect of people who formerly viewed her with suspicion in fact ruth will win the community's blessings to be fertile like israel's great maternal co-founders rachel and leah she begins an adventure that will change her her family nation and the world forever in this sense ruth's courage is similar to the prophet elisha who in 1 kings chapter 19 verses 19 to 21 After Elijah throws his cloak of prophecy around him, makes a definitive break with his former attachments to farming by slaughtering his yoke of oxen, using the plowing equipment for fuel to boil their flesh, and then follows Elijah without reserve. Toward the end of Elijah's ministry, when he is about to be taken up in a whirlwind of fire, three times he urges Elisha to stay behind but is met with firm resolve. I will not leave you. As a result, Elisha is rewarded by seeing a flaming chariot take Elijah to heaven, and more importantly, receives a double portion of Elijah's spirit. In contrast, Orpa goes back to the safety of Moab and her pagan gods. It is the sensible course of action, given the age of her mother-in-law, and what she thinks will be her meager prospects in Israel. But courage is clearly lacking, as well as trust in the providence of the God of Israel. The consequences are devastating, as Orpah misses the opportunity of a lifetime to build a new future, uniting herself to Yahweh and his blessings. Ruth looks with confidence to the future, while Orpah takes refuge in the past. How important is moral courage for Christians to exercise, especially in our secular society, where political correctness, relativism, and cancel culture abound. To fearlessly speak the truth in love and then act on it, willing to give an account for the hope that is within, is imperative. The unnamed kinsman-redeemer, to protect his inheritance, fearful of what marriage to a foreigner like Ruth could mean, draws back and evades his responsibility. He remains inauthentic, anonymous, and forgotten to the history of salvation. This is to be contrasted with our kinsman-redeemer, Jesus Christ, who assumed human flesh and courageously lived out his ministry for our sake, knowing what lay ahead in the garden of Gethsemane and at Golgotha. The second virtue, related to courage, is magnanimity, that is, largeness of soul. Ruth strives for this virtue, pursuing what is excellent and noble for the sake of serving others. St. Thomas Aquinas defines magnanimity as, quote, a stretching forth of the mind to great things in accordance with the charisms one possesses from God. Ruth, throughout this story, does not put herself first. She considers the good of others, namely, her mother-in-law, Naomi. The unique force of her personality is not to think of herself at all. Ruth is concerned, not that she is a foreigner in Israel, nor that she is a poor widow, rather that she is needed by another, and is willing to go to a strange country, and ultimately to her death in union with her mother-in-law. This willingness to sacrifice for the other enlargens her soul and she becomes who she was truly meant to be, the great-grandmother of the greatest king in Israel's history and a key figure in the line of the Messiah who would give the ultimate sacrifice of himself on the cross. As St. Paul states in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 4, each of you should not only look to your own interests, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ruth's generosity of spirit becomes noticeable by another magnanimous character, her kinsman-redeemer, Boaz, he recognizes Ruth's nobility. Two great souls encounter one another at the threshing floor. To each applies St. Paul's statement in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Ruth is to be contrasted with two other figures in the story. Orpah takes the safe and expected course by returning to her mother in the land of her birth and the unnamed kinsman-redeemer who exhibits small-mindedness in safeguarding his wealth and station in life. Ruth exceeds what is merely expected. She operates on an entirely different level through the greatness of her heart and generous spirit. She does not shrink back from challenges nor choose the path of least resistance, thereby falling into sins of omission. As we see, God's providence is at work in such a noble soul. As Pope Benedict XVI states, quote, The ways of the Lord are not comfortable, but we were not created for comfort, but for greatness, of quote. A third important virtue is prudence. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1806, defines prudence as the charioteer of all the virtues, since it guards them by setting rule and measure. Prudence disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and chooses the right means of achieving it. This is not to be confused with cleverness, timidity, or fear. In fact, we see the nearer relative using these counterfeits to avoid his moral obligation of providing protection to Ruth and Naomi, appealing to his so-called obligation to secure the inheritance rights of his children. Boaz, on the other hand, realistically assesses his moral duty and then applies that knowledge to a good end. He acts decisively with respect to the nearer relative at the city gate, careful not to tell him about Ruth and her foreign status until the nearer kinsman-redeemer, confident that Naomi is past the age of childbearing, thinks his inheritance is secure. Boaz also shows prudence by gathering information from the overseer of the harvest as to this strange woman gleaning in his field, learning of her loyalty to Naomi, before he invites her to stay in his field close to the women and instructs his gleaners how she is to be respected. Further prudence is shown when Boaz cautions Ruth not to tell anyone about her presence at the threshing floor, bidding her to stay with him until morning before returning to her mother-in-law, and then providing six measures of barley as evidence that she had been gleaning and not acting immorally. Naomi displays prudence by correctly instructing Ruth, who would not be familiar with the rules of a kinsman-redeemer, how to approach Boaz, so as to show that her mourning as a widow is over and that she requests marriage. Once she realizes that Boaz has taken a benevolent interest in Ruth, Naomi wastes no time hatching a plan that will secure for Ruth a home. She prudently shapes what she knows to be true, that is, Boaz's noble character and discretion. In this delicate operation... Where there were many ways it could go wrong, Naomi tells Ruth to put on her perfume and best clothes, then after Boaz has finished eating and drinking, that is, in a pleasant mood, uncover his feet and lay down, clearly signaling her desire for marriage. Naomi acts promptly and decisively, seizing the opportunity at hand and trusting in God's providence. Since providence is the cause of and informs the other ethical virtues, we see why Boaz acts justly on behalf of Naomi and Ruth by being a kinsman-redeemer, why Ruth possesses fortitude in journeying to Israel despite the many hardships, and why Boaz and Ruth were temperate at the threshing floor. Having the virtue of prudence, they possessed that perfected practical reason necessary to make good decisions at the proper time and in the proper manner based on the truth of the given situation. A fourth important virtue that abounds in our story is asceticism, first in Boaz, who does not take advantage of Ruth when she presents herself to him at the threshing floor seeking protection and marriage from her kinsman-redeemer. Boaz, being a spiritual man of integrity, exercises discipline, has proper control over his passions and drives. He is truly free. He orders his passions in relation to, first, the good of others, in this case a vulnerable young widow who needs protection, second, to the good of the community that would be scandalized if he took advantage of her, third, in relation to the God to whom is owed obedience and finally in relation to himself as a man who would not divide his soul. Ruth exercises asceticism by not going after the younger men, as Boaz points out in chapter 3, verse 10, in order to make herself available to her kinsman-redeemer, who she hoped would provide for Naomi by buying back the ancestral land of Elimelech. She denies herself a lesser good, one more superior. This virtue of asceticism was clearly lacking in the unnamed nearer Kinsman Redeemer, who failed to exercise control as regards his inordinate desire for wealth to the neglect of a person in need and to the shame of his community. Asceticism comes from the Greek word which means to exercise or train, especially in the context of an athletic competition. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, speaks about this training for spiritual perfection. Quote, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. End of quote. Thus, in the Christian sense, asceticism means to train or practice toward achieving a well-ordered life, attaining mastery over our physical, mental, and spiritual urges. In our present age of self-indulgence, where lack of discipline over one's urges often results in moral ruin, how important it is for us to practice regular, voluntary renunciation of lesser goods for the sake of the more, so that we may remain capable of rising to ever greater degrees of excellence. A fifth virtue and perhaps one that may not be so readily apparent in our story, is courtesy. The etymology of the word originates from the word court, which in medieval times had the sense of courtly, chivalrous, gracious, benevolence. It is rooted in the dignity we each possess. In our story, although Ruth is a foreigner, yet Boaz, being a man of honor, takes the time to know her and treats her with a respectful attitude, especially recognizing her vulnerable position. He is sympathetic to her plight and instructs his workers not to molest her, to leave some gleaning for her, calling her my daughter. Ruth would have immediately felt valued, even though she was a stranger in a foreign land. It also would have opened her heart to the other virtues that Boaz had to offer. The nearer kinsman-redeemer treats Ruth as a commodity. He never takes the time to know her as a person, and therefore makes his decision based on pure selfish interests. The benevolent Boaz, on the other hand, does not force himself on the vulnerable Ruth, but rather graciously invites her to glean in his fields, and respects her freedom. Boaz also seeks to remove the embarrassment of her station instructing his workers not to reproach Ruth for gleaning among the sheaves, and actually eating with Ruth and the reapers. Boaz is not aloof or haughty, taking advantage of his wealthy status, but recognizes the dignity of everyone. In chapter 2 verse 14 he says to Ruth, Come here and have some food, dip your bread in the sauce, and then hands Ruth some of the roasted grain. Such courtesy towards Ruth would have elevated her status from vulnerable foreigner to equality with the reapers. Ruth also shows courtesy toward Boaz in chapter 2, verse 13, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants, end of quote. The importance of courtesy in the book of Ruth, and generally speaking, is that it opens the floodgates to other virtues, being the foundation upon which a graceful life and society can be nurtured. In our age of technology, where machines are often our first contact with the other, may we learn once again the treasure of this important virtue. Finally, When Boaz reveals to Ruth that there exists a closer relative with priority regarding redemption, he does not leave her alone to approach this strange man for protection, but assures her that he will conduct the negotiations, which he does promptly the next morning. He also promises, on divine oath, that if the nearer Redeemer does not redeem Ruth, he will. This must again have been a great relief to Ruth and Naomi. The importance of courtesy in the book of Ruth, and generally speaking, is that it opens the floodgates to the other virtues, being the foundation upon which a graceful life and society can be nurtured. In our age of technology, where machines are often our first contact with the other, may we learn once again the treasure of this important virtue. May we realize that each person is created In the image and likeness of God, and therefore possesses inherent worth, is unique and unrepeatable, and therefore deserves respect and courtesy. A sixth important virtue in our story is that of detachment. Boaz was not hindered by many competing interests such as wealth or status, he was bound rather by the obligation to love God and neighbor. Thus, when Ruth presented herself for protection, whereas the nearer relative was constrained by other obsessions, such as economic status, Boaz saw the matter much more simply in relation to God and the obligation God had imposed on him to protect the vulnerable. Boaz saw Ruth as a person created in God's image and likeness and not as a competing commodity that could be bartered away due to other priorities. With a single-minded fidelity to God's will, Boaz possessed the virtue of disinterestedness which opened him to Ruth and opened her heart to him. Ruth quickly perceives that Boaz was a man of integrity who could be trusted. He was not double-minded or manipulative. This was immensely attractive to Ruth, and it draws her to Boaz And to God's ultimate plan. In our age of multitasking, where non essential competing interests dominate and divide our true selves, this virtue is sorely needed. Jesus, in the Gospels, challenges the rich young man who wanted eternal life to go sell his many possessions because they were possessing him. May we strive for this virtue so as to be fully open to God and his purposes undivided, and free. The seventh virtue exercised in our story is that of loyalty. According to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, loyalty is defined as, quote, a practical disposition to persist in an intrinsically valued attachment where that involves a potentially costly commitment to secure the interest or well-being of the object of loyalty, end of quote. We see this immediately in the first chapter when Naomi tries to persuade Ruth to return to her own people in Moab where the prospects for marriage would be much better than in Israel. We quote once again Ruth's remarkable response. Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. End of quote. Chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. This virtue of loyalty is an aspect of hesed. It is grounded first in God's covenant toward us. A prime instance is found in Genesis chapter 15. After Abraham cuts sacrificial animals in two and arranges the halves opposite each other, God puts Abraham into a deep sleep. Then, in a vision, God is seen, symbolized by a smoking firepot and blazing torch passing through the cut pieces. In this covenant ratification ceremony, God puts himself under the threat of a curse if the covenant is breached. Ordinarily, Two parties to a covenant would pass through the animals with the understanding that if one party commits a breach, he will suffer what the animals did. Since God alone passes through the gauntlet, one understands the seriousness of his commitment. This is ultimately played out on Good Friday. Because humanity continually breached the covenant, Jesus carries his cross up Mount Calvary as if to pass through the cut animals, to offer a sacrifice of atonement for our redemption. Ruth's self-curse, May the Lord deal with me ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me, is an ever so faint participation in God's covenant loyalty for us. Boaz, in turn, chose loyalty to Ruth by following the laws of Israel with respect to Kinsman Redeemer, even though he lives in the time of the judges when everyone does what is pleasing to their eyes, evidenced by the nearer relative, who refuses his obligations. Boaz anticipates and prefigures our kinsman-redeemer, Jesus Christ, who is loyal to his mission, as the sent one who pays the price of our freedom, not with money, but with his blood. Naomi likewise shares in this virtue, going so far as to secure a kinsman-redeemer for Ruth by her planning and execution of a daring marriage proposal. What one sees in these three characters is a form of the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that is, an unwavering commitment to see good done to another whatever the sacrifice. By doing so, they were ultimately showing loyalty to the God of Israel in whose image they were each created. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. One final aspect of this story that must not be overlooked. Prayer suffuses the entire narrative. Naomi in chapter 1 verses 8 to 9 prayed for Ruth and Orpah May the Lord be kind to you, as you were to the departed and to me. May the Lord grant each of you a husband and a home in which you will find rest. Boaz prays for his workers in chapter 2, verse 4. The Lord be with you. And the workers pray for their employer. The Lord bless you. Boaz prays for Ruth in chapter 2, verse 12. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. May you receive a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Naomi, in chapter 2, verse 19, prays for the as yet unknown benefactor who helped Ruth. May he who took notice of you be blessed. May he be blessed by the Lord, who is ever merciful to the living and the dead. In chapter 3, verse 10, Boaz prays for Ruth. May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have been even more loyal now than before in not going after the young men, whether poor or rich. The people and the elders pray for Boaz and Ruth in chapter 4, verse 11. May the Lord make this wife come into your house like Rachel and Leah, who between them built up the house of Israel. The people also pray for Naomi in chapter 4, verse 14. Blessed is the Lord who has not failed to provide you today with an error. May he become famous in Israel. What is remarkable is that these characters prayed during the time of the judges when everyone did what was pleasing in their sight. But as Psalm 72 states, quote, For God delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper, end of quote. James chapter 5, verse 16 encourages us to pray for one another and adds that the prayers of a righteous person have great power in its effects. The prayers of these righteous characters in the book of Ruth are so powerful that they result in the ultimate effect that is, the family line of David, is protected so that a Savior redeems all creation. This should encourage us to, firstly, Strive for righteousness by calling on the name of the Lord and cooperating with His grace. And secondly, to pray always. By way of conclusion, as these many virtues manifest in the lives of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, they become wonderful examples for us to follow of those who, by striving for excellence, become truly beautiful and free. They also result in a harmony That draws our characters together in a unity that becomes family and not just any family but one that impacts history for the good. May we be drawn into this wonderful story by the virtues evident therein and through God's grace leave a compelling witness of our own story that is pleasing to God and our neighbor thereby building on earth the kingdom of heaven.